Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Glad you're here. The stool is prepared. And Jim, to my knowledge, it's still early here on Tuesday, but I don't think President Biden has referred to either of us as a stupid SOB today. But, you know, the day is still young. You know, Greg, for all we know, he may have intended to and simply forgot. Could the be. only other thing I have to say about this, Greg, is that I, right now I think Peter Ducey is just the coolest guy in the entire world because the president said something rude, ironically, uh, using a phrase that the previous president had used. And we were told that that was a threat to the First Amendment and a sign of a raging autocrat and uh, democracy was dying in darkness and all that stuff. And now that Biden did it. Many, but not all, uh, journalists who are left of center were like, "Yeah, it's fine. Ducey had it coming. It's no big deal." I, in a world where everybody is trained to flop like a soccer player whenever anybody does something wrong to them and to maximize the attention and maximize the outrage, I just think Ducey's the coolest guy in the world to say, "Yeah, you know, the fact." Yeah, they say he made a joke that you know the fact checkers haven't weighed in yet, so it may not be a lie. Like just laughing it off and and blowing it off as no big deal, I just think is like the. It's such a refreshing change of pace in a high dudgeon addict you know people people who yearn for victimhood like it's crack cocaine the president should not be calling you know uh reporters an sob but you know the fact that he did no what what in in a week who's going to remember this what difference does it make to quote a famous former secretary of state and so you know good for you do see man's got a healthy view of the world he's not going to play up for it apparently biden did call him tell him it was nothing personal which is you know fine great all that kind of stuff but uh and now I've spent way more time talking about it than I intended to, Greg. <laughs> so, as Ducey has said, it's over. Let's move on. So that's exactly what we're going to do. On to the good martini now. And Jim, we talked a little over a week ago on the first Monday of Glenn Youngkin's governorship here in Virginia. He's off to a strong start. And one of the reasons is because he was doing exactly what he said he would do. And he is giving parents the power over their kids' education, including whether or not they're going to wear masks in schools. As we easily predicted, uh, because I think by the time we spoke on Monday, uh, some school districts had already promised to sue. Seven of them are, most of them in Northern Virginia, no surprise. Fairfax, Prince William, Arlington, City of Alexandria, Falls Church, Richmond, and Hampton uh, are all suing on this. Uh, But as you point out in the morning jolt today, while the liberals think they've got the upper hand on this because they've actually got a a statute on the books which would override uh, the governor's executive order, uh, there are some legal experts out there that say, you know what, this executive order was actually written in a very careful and effective way because it doesn't actually override the law. And so, as you also point out, if these more blue-leaning districts don't at least start to get on the off-ramp, which is now the hot word uh, for ending mask mandates, you might see uh, the state legislature, with a little bit of help from the Democrats in the state Senate, override the existing law if that's what it comes to. So either way, I think we're headed in a good place. Greg, at the risk of using one of my most habitual cliches of declaring that there's a lot to unpack here, there is a lot to unpack here. And rarely have I written a morning jolt in which readers have really hated the beginning of an argument or laying out a series of facts, but they love the conclusion. The conclusion is that Glenn Youngkin is going to win this fight eventually. It's just a question of how and when. 
Um, the first thought at the beginning is, so if you ask parents who are concerned about masks right now and still want their kids wearing masks and are very upset about the thought of other parents sending their kids to school without masks, I, I've been asking them, like, so what would you need to see to feel comfortable uh, either having your kid in school without a mask or having other kids in school without a mask? And invariably, the answer is, I want to see the cases go down, some version of that. We're past the Omicron wave, but not really all that far past it. I think you got, got at least probably another two, three weeks, and then you're going to you know, see back to pre-Omicron wave numbers. Uh, the hospitalization rate is actually at or near the record number, and it surpassed the previous high, I want to say around January 12th or so, right? So we, if we're, you know, if we're not at the peak, we're just past it. We still got another couple of weeks. But what we've seen from the Omicron wave in other parts of the United States and overseas, the Omicron wave cases go up really, really fast, hit the peak, and then they come down really, really fast. In fact, they've come down from about 120,000. I want to say that was like the second week of January, somewhere in there, down to about 57,000 cases, I think was the most recent number in the seven-day average. That number is going to keep going down. So if Youngkin's position looks unreasonable now, but I think it is reasonable, but if there are parents who are like, ah, oh, you can't do this when, when, the number, when the cases are so high, well, the cases are going to be down a week from now, two weeks from now, and they're really going to be down a month from now. And it's going to be even more, six weeks, even more, eight weeks. So the, whatever, the strongest counter argument they have, you don't want to remove the mask mandate at a time when cases are so high, is going to gradually, in fact, maybe rapidly erode day by day, week by week over the coming weeks here. That, I think, is going to affect the thinking of a judge. Now, Ilya Shapiro, who is a smarter guy than I am and who knows the law better than I am, says that this thing is written with this law in mind. Any judge is going to uphold it. I'm not as confident as he is. I, I just think it's just too easy for a judge to say, ah, you know, CDC guidelines say uh, kids should be masked and these schools say they're simply following the CDC guidelines. Uh, yep, the, the mask mandates can stay. I, I think it, I, I, at this point, I just don't know which way a judge would rule. Um, it's a bit like, uh, you know, some, some of the times we've had, you know, frustrations with the Supreme Court and not knowing how the swing justice is going to decide. I just don't know if you can count on that. But the announcement from Chap Peterson, who ironically, I believe is my state senator, uh, under the, at least unless they move the district lines. He's a Democrat. He's a relatively moderate one. Uh, he wears a bow tie and his first name is Chap. So he's the most uh, Republican appearing Democrat you've ever seen in the state legislature. But he is among, one of the guys who really believed we had to reopen schools as far as you know, state Senate Democrats go. He's probably one of the better ones. And earlier this month, he had actually written an op-ed uh, with the chair of the school board, I believe for Prince William County saying, look, we've got to have some sort of, of criteria for how we're going to say, okay, kids, you don't need to wear masks anymore. He wasn't saying that to be immediate. Schools have to lay out what their criteria is, presumably in case numbers or hospitalization numbers or something like that, to which they can say, okay, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Well, Chap Peterson now says if he, there is not a, you know, if, if school districts don't start putting out these kinds of, of uh, clarity, this kind of understanding of what the off-ramp, so to speak, is, then at some point the state legislature is going to act. Right now, Democrats have a 21 to 19 split uh, in their favor. But you should not automatically assume that all Republicans are pro-demasking and all Democrats are anti-demasking because Chap Peterson, if he votes the Republicans, would turn into a 2020 split. The uh, tie would be broken by the lieutenant governor. And if that were to shake out, Glenn Youngkin would have this giant symbolic victory uh, over state Senate Democrats. It, if you're a Democrat, you know you're going to lose this fight. The question is, do you want to lose this fight in a vote in the state legislature that's probably going to come back and be used against you? Uh, or do you want to have, you know, say to the local school boards, you know, guys, you're going to lose this fight eventually. 
better that you guys say, all right, here's our criteria for demasking. Here, you know, when cases get down to this level in our community, we're going to allow kids to walk around without using masks. And that would be the effective surrender. But one way or another, the mask rules are going to end at these schools. As I put it today, it's just a question of how and a question of when. And my guess is sooner rather than later. Here's my question on this, Jim. You, you laid out uh, the data and uh, mentioned the CDC guidance and so forth. I'm not sure why that should matter. Its legality should not be determined whether it's a good idea. It should be determined about whether it's constitutional. And so the question is whether or not the statute overrides the executive order or the executive order can be applied and does not uh, contradict a statute. While I think a lot of people, especially on the left, would uh, love to see uh, a little more waiting on this, I don't understand why the CDC guidance factors into whether something's legal. Well, the, the law says schools should be following the CDC guidance uh, as much as, as practical or applicable. And so the question is, are the mask mandates practical and applicable? Mm. Um, but a good example of what you're describing there, Greg, had just happened up in New York State, where a judge up in New York just said that the governor cannot enact mask mandates in rules and schools and public buildings all by herself because this is a, you know, goes beyond the emergency powers. I talked a little bit about this in the morning jolt too, saying that we are two years into this pandemic. You should not be operating on emergency powers anymore. If we're two years in, it's not an emergency anymore. And these things should be passed by legislatures, legislatures that we can vote out of office if we think their decision-making is stupid. And that, uh, you know, Hochul was, was, you know, furious about this and I'm just trying to stand up for public health. It's a, well, look, a public health problem does not turn you into a dictator. You do not get to make the rules willy-nilly all by yourself based on what you and your public health experts say. We have a legislature for a reason, and their job is not to be a rubber stamp. So I, I think in the end, I, you know, this is going to be a similar story here in Virginia. I don't think a judge is going to say and a, the executive order can you know, uh, nullify this interpretation of the state law. When the state Democrats realize they're going to lose this in the state legislature, I think they'll call up the school boards and say, hey, adjust your policies, give, give them an off ramp because we really don't want to take this loss. Because if you don't think Youngkin having a win here isn't going to be national news, this, this is going to be a huge victory for Republicans heading into the midterms that already look bad for Democrats. Interesting to see how this will play out. Fascinating politics and uh, whether it'll be a big political deal or a or less than a, a big political deal. But uh, in the meantime, Rest up. We should get a decision from the state Supreme Court pretty quickly on this. At least that's uh, what we've been hearing. So it might even be this week. But uh, rest up on your my pillow, your Giza dream sheets. Uh, walk around in your slippers and just relax. We got a lot of big political fights coming up, so you want to be comfortable. And right now, the good news from my pillow, in addition to their quality products, is that you can get the new my slippers at forty percent off the normal price when you use our promo code Martini at checkout when you go to mypillow.com. These slippers have spent two years in development to ensure the highest quality and comfort. They're designed to be worn all day, indoors, outdoors, or wherever you like. These slippers are available in moccasin or slip-on style, and they're available in a variety of colors and sizes. The My Slippers are made with quality leather suede, an exclusive three-tier cushioning system. This includes the MyPillow patented fill, the impact gel, and the memory foam. For a limited time, MyPillow is offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Enter the promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, don't forget to take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bedsheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. 
and of course the slippers. But you can only save 40% on the new My Slippers with our promo code Martini. So use that code Martini when you call 800-874-0104 or when you go to MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And for that, we head back over across the Atlantic Ocean and uh, the dread that's building about the intentions that Russia has over Ukraine. Oh, but fear not, Jim, because the European Union is on the case. And if there's anything we can count on from the European Union, it's unified, bold, clear action. No, I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, Politico (laughs) Europe reporting that the EU foreign minister is struggling on Monday to portray a united front against Russia as tensions simmered behind the scenes over supplying weapons to Ukraine and over a proposed military training mission. As the ministers gathered in Brussels for a meeting that included a conversation with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken via video link, a split emerged between the EU and the U.S. over the evacuation of diplomats from Kiev. Meanwhile, the EU's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, insisted, and this is my favorite part, that the 27 member states and their allies were completely in lockstep. Completely in lockstep, Jim. On the need for a package of high-impact sanctions to be imposed on Russia in the event of an attack on Ukraine. But that cohesion was largely made possible by not discussing any specific details about the draft measures delaying potentially fierce disagreements. So is there anything more government, Jim, than we are united about the details? We have no idea. Greg, this sounds an awful lot like double secret probation from Animal House. <laughs> We're going to punish Putin, but the punishment's going to be so bad we can't even talk about it. You, you're not even allowed to know about it. That's how severe it is. Take that. Uh, in your face there, uh, Vladimir Putin. Look, I, on the one hand, this is not surprising. You know, there been a lot of reports about uh, Germany being extraordinarily unenthusiastic about taking, really lifting a finger uh, towards uh, Vladimir Putin on, on a variety of issues. They have extensive trade ties with the Russians. Um, they've denied overflight. Right, it was like they told, they didn't say to the British, "You cannot fly munitions over our airspace if you want to deliver them to Ukraine." But they said that to do so, they'd require you know, special permission due to enhanced risk over, you know, heaven forbid something happens to the airplane or something like that. So the, British, the Royal Air Force said, we're just not gonna, we're just not gonna apply for that. We're just gonna fly around German airspace. Now, somebody said, okay, so the, you know, Germany didn't really ban it, but here's the thing. They could have said to the Royal Air Force, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll expedite this. We'll get this taken care of real fast. We wanna get those, uh, those weapons to Ukraine as quickly as possible. The fact that they didn't, is a sign that Germany really doesn't want to, it's not going to lift a finger to help arm Ukraine. They're really not as interested in defending Ukraine as the other members of, uh, of both NATO and the EU. At minimum, it's the Germans who aren't on board with this. The other really intriguing thing, and I, I'm, this, I could go on at really great length with this, but the short version is there's a system called SWIFT. And it's basically the computer system that makes oper- basically connects banks all around the world. So if you're in one country and you need to send money to another country, SWIFT is the system that operates that. And if you cut off a country from SWIFT, you basically make it almost impossible to get money in and out of the country. This is kind of the, uh, I don't want to say the nuclear bomb of financial sanctions, but when people talk about that, most sanctions, um, if you're Vladimir Putin, it's not really going to touch you. If you're wealthy enough in Russia, Sanctions are really not going to bother you too much. Maybe travel restrictions might or something like that if you want to, you know, send your kid to, to a U.S. university or something like that. But by and large, it's, you know, there's a reason sanctions never really touch the rich and powerful. 
The Swift restrictions would, but the Swift, I believe, is operating out of Belgium, the Netherlands, one of the Low Countries, and technically, you know, the Belgian government, one of the Low Countries governments, could apply pressure on Swift to either enact those restrictions or to not enact those restrictions. And it's not 100% sure that everybody in Europe is on board with this because a lot of countries in Europe do a lot of business with Russia. We're not even getting into access to oil and gas and all the other energy supplies from Russia and stuff like that. So. Um, the European Union, I, I understand, like, it's kind of one of those ideas that people might think, even, some people hate it entirely. It's lovely in theory, but really difficult in practice. I think in the end, most people, citizens of European countries, do not see themselves as Europeans. It's an entirely artificial construct. And it's understandable if you're on a continent that has had uh, all kinds of histories of wars, and then you lead it to World War One, and then you lead it to World War Two. this desire of, oh my goodness, you know, Every time the Germans get really nationalistic, they try to borrow Poland for a few decades, you know, and, and all of this sense of like, okay, we got to tamp down nationalism. But unfortunately, the European identity um, only seems to take root in a certain cosmopolitan elite, uh, folks who really do see themselves as quote unquote citizens of the world. Uh, in the end, the French see themselves as French. The average German sees himself as German. Um, so the idea that Europe could speak with one voice uh, you know, it's going to be really rare for circumstances like that. And Russia invading Ukraine is not going to be one that you, look, we're not unified here in the United States. A lot of Americans don't like it. Very big difference about how far we should go in our level of opposition to it. And there are a decent number of people who say, you know what? Ukraine has always been close to Russia. They have all kinds of cultural ties. They have linguistic ties. It's always going to matter more to Russia than it is to us. Let them sort it out. That is a formula to have the strong dominate the weak. I don't really like that that philosophy, but at least I can understand where it's coming from. The European Union, in you know, a real genuine major foreign policy crisis, even at its doorstep or in its backyard or whichever you know house metaphor you prefer, uh, the European Union is not proving to be a uh, leader on this issue because it cannot lead. Because to lead, you need to be clear in what you want, and to do that, you need to be unified. Ironically, Greg, there is no union in the European Union. Yes, very little, and especially when it comes to uh, arming the Ukrainians. I know there's probably a pretty intense debate in our own country about how much the U.S. should be uh, supporting them weapons-wise. I would argue that it is infinitely better than sending American forces over there. I don't think very many Americans at all have the appetite for that. But given what we know about Ukraine, Jim, um, I feel like we've gotten into a bad track record here of convincing certain countries to give up nuclear weapons, or at least weapons of mass destruction in the case of Libya, and then when they actually agree to do it, turns out things don't go very well for them. So I'm not sure how many other countries down the road we're going to be able to convince to not uh, pursue nukes or, or other devastating weapons. Yeah, I was going to say, that's looking like a bad deal, huh? You know. Yeah, they're not going to do it. If you've got nukes, never give them up. That's, that's, that is the unfortunate lesson we are communicating to the world right now. We have your back, depending on our own domestic political considerations, and who's president. <laughs> yes, that's not a not a. There's an asterisk at the end of that statement that you got to look real close to see. All right, let's look at our crazy martini now, and I wish this was a silly crazy. It's not. It's a bad crazy. Uh, let's talk about our southern border. For some reason, it took until January 24th for the Biden administration to cough up the number of illegals crossing in the month of December, and now that we actually see the numbers. Uh, it's not hard to see why. Uh, the number of uh, migrant encounters, as it's termed, in December stood at 178,840. That's an increase, Jim, of 141.6% from the same month in 2020, 
which was during a pandemic, and up 340.8% from December 2019, obviously pre-pandemic. So the numbers are horrific. By the time we get through January, it's going to be 2 million illegal immigrants apprehended. And that's just the ones they got at the border. There's plenty of what they call gotaways down there, too. Uh, We also see, uh, thanks to uh, Hot Air for aggregating this, uh, that 14 people in the last year who are on the terrorist watch list have been apprehended. And some in Washington will say, hey, system's working. We got the terrorists. Did you get all of them? Are you sure? And uh, the one bright spot. Well, we'll know soon enough. (laughs) The one bright spot, uh, according to Hot Air, is a decline in the encounters with unaccompanied children. Uh, 14% drop there, except that there's a 15% increase in encounters with family units, which means there are still kids caught in the crosshairs here. But, uh, Jim, uh, what do you make of these just never-ending record numbers, it seems, and a Biden administration that has done absolutely nothing about it? I was going to say, for a while, each time these these monthly reports would come out, uh, you'd see stories to say, oh, you know, and I, and I would I wrote plenty of times in the corner, you know, Biden insisted this was just part of the regular seasonal pattern. It was not. Now you see that his, you know, basically this message has gone out through all of Central America, get to the United States. I strongly suspect this is tied to the fact that the you know, perception that Biden is not enforcing immigration policies the way his predecessor did and the perception that an amnesty is in the works someday. Uh, I actually don't think that is likely to come to pass, at least not, uh, you know, particularly if Republicans win back the House and Senate. Um, Central America believes that if they get here, you know, fast enough, they can get grandfathered in, they'll get a road to life, a path to citizenship, they get to live in the United States and not have to deal with all the problems of Central America anymore. So, what, you know, the interesting it's, it's, the question is, you know, is Biden, he, he's taken a hit on this issue. I think the, the poll I saw yesterday said that uh, 59% disapprove of his handling of border security, just 37% approve. And I'm I'm assuming the 37% uh, who answered, yes, I approve of how Biden is approving uh, uh, border security. Greg, it turns out 36% of them were illegal immigrants. Uh, <laughs> the remaining 1% were coyotes and people smugglers. So, so really, you know, th- that's those are the folks who love what he's doing there. Um, so he's taking a bad hit on this. Maybe if you're Biden, that's that's acceptable. It certainly isn't such a problem that he does feel desperate to a, go to the border to announce new funding, to announce that they're going to, uh, you know, to do well, we made a mistake to go ahead with border fence construction. All these things, you know, he hasn't re- nothing has been bad enough to make him rethink the course that he's on. Now, I think it's going to this is going to be a big contributing factor in a red wave slash red tsunami in the midterm elections. But maybe if you're Joe Biden, it's worth it. Or, you know, maybe he's just still muttering about uh, Ducey under his breath, Greg. <laughs> Jim, do you think this issue is like guns and some other issues where, look, if, if you care about guns, you're going to vote that way, one way or the other. It doesn't really matter who the candidates are. If you really care about the border and border security, you're going to vote that way. Uh, no matter uh, where the situation stands right now. So how many people who are very likely to vote for Democrats in a vacuum would change it over the border? I would like to think it's a lot, considering the national security implications, but I'm just not sure. I I think your assessment is in the ballpark there, Greg, that it's tough to believe there are that many people who would flip from Democrat to Republican just because of this issue. But I don't think this issue occurs in a vacuum. Uh, when you talk to these focus groups, there's just this general sense that you know Joe Biden was elected to get us back to normal. 
And that meant on a whole bunch of fronts, but you know, I think you know, most notably on COVID nineteen, the pandemic. Um, I think obviously the uh, President Trump brought his own problems, his own baggage, his own circus to town. I think with Obama, when trying to make the pitch for Joe Biden at one point, said, "Won't it be a relief to you know wake up in the morning and not have to worry about what the president did?" Well, we're not in that state. Where <laughs> you know, we're not, you know, and you throw in. Uh, inflation, you throw in gas prices, you throw in food prices, you throw in the supply chain crisis. I think the border crisis, you know, kind of just adds to this burgeoning sense of chaos, this sense that Biden has not made us back to normal, and in fact, may have even taken us further away from normal because we've got problems that are completely you know, like we we've never had a supply chain crisis like this in the United States before. People, we've had you know gas surges and stuff like that. This is probably right up there. Maybe in like 2008, I remember summer 2008. It was really bad um, on gas prices. People don't remember seeing empty shelves on stores like this. And obviously, we never had. You know, we've had the pandemic before. We're starting in in March uh, 2020. But what's weird is that. The problem of Omicron, uh, thankfully less deadly, but having lots of people getting sick all at the same time and staying home from work at the same time is creating whole new kinds of problems that we have not really seen before. So really, I think the border adds to this just general sense that Biden is overwhelmed, that Biden is, you know, he makes it oh, and then throw Afghanistan, right? Biden makes a decision and is convinced it's going to work out. And no matter how bad it gets, he just completely convinced, no, no, this is the right path. Just you wait, just you give it time. And that's where we are, where we are. So I think it's if, you know, by itself, it's not going to change votes. I think in this whole plethora of problems that seem to be getting worse, that, Greg, is where it's going to really hurt Democrats in the midterms. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. I think, yeah, the cumulative effect uh, is certainly hitting him in his poll numbers right now. We'll see if it uh, uh, results in the same kind of numbers when it comes to other Democrats on the ballot. But uh, time will tell. It's going to be sooner than you think. We're just a little over nine months away now from uh, midterm election day 2022. But uh, if, if history's any guide, we got a lot to go through uh, between now and then. So, Jim, happy Tuesday. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Also, tell your friends about us. We'd love to have them join us each day as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews on the Three Martini Lunch. Those always help us. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey, guys, we know it's hard to keep up with all the news these days, but don't worry, because we're here to talk about all the things. Glenn Youngkin has been sworn in as Virginia's new governor. Food prices are up to record highs, and I had the funk, or maybe just a cold. Who knows? There doesn't seem to be a difference these days. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast. Here's pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.